0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet.
1: Wake up your mind. It's Tuesday, you know what that means. Yes, it's a you feature show here on the Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet podcasting network. I'm your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and we've got a, a very special show this week as we'll be looking back on the career of the late, great, Brody Lee slash Luke Harper uh, nearly one year on from his unfortunate uh, passing we are going to delve into what was a stellar career that he had not just in WWE and his brief run in AEW we're also going to look a wee bit back on his pre NXT run when he was where he brought the Brody Lee character to life in instance until then obviously becoming Luke Harper when he moved to the Fed for seven years and then he's final year in 2020 for this particular show uh, I asked for the Wyatt family of panelists instead I have 2019 Dark Order I've got David Hopney and Grant McRobbie with me gents how are you
0: yeah 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 it's good to be here and it's good to be along with the the Eric Rowan of ESSR talking about the the great Brody Lee
2: <laughs> I mean Stephen's more like, a, like an Aldi version of of him you know, complete botch for Mania. Could you imagine what Aldi Eric Rowan look- would look like? Oh my it's God!
0: <laughs> he looked like the guy that was uh, mistaken for Rowan in that Brian Roman Who Done It sort of story. Remember, there was that that random bald guy with a ginger beard.
1: Oh yeah, that angle it went. Oh, God, yeah, that, that
0: that's Poundland Rowan. Oh
1: Jesus, oh, <laughs> I, I erased that memory from my mind. <laughs> but yeah, that's. Uh... Interesting enough, right? Before we obviously get into the topic of today's show, just the usual housekeeping from us here. You can find us on all good uh, podcasting networks. Obviously, the one you're listening listening to is on right now, and also uh, Spotify, iTunes, any of them you're up. We're on it. This is for each Sleep Suplex Retweet. Uh, we're also on the social media channel. Oh, no, uh, yeah, social media channels: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Suplex Retweet, and. Also, you can catch us on YouTube. We've got loads of shows on there as well. Just search "Eat Sleep Suplexion Tweet" online. You can find all our stuff there, including our website, EatSleepSuplexionTweet.com. Uh, right, I think it's time that we get into the topic and talk about Brody Lee. Now, Brody Lee was born on December 16, uh, 1979, in New York, uh, <laughs> and he made his debut uh, in. Professional wrestling in October of 2003. Now, most people are a bit rusty in terms of the early days of the Brody Lee character. But, uh, Grant, well, talk firstly about the name Brody Lee. Where he got it from? An amazing uh, fact that I found when I was researching this. So I wasn't quite sure where he got the name from, but it was. Based on the Kevin Smith film Mallrats, and he combined two of the actors' names, uh, well, <laughs> an actor and a character from that one. Uh, the character was Brody Bruce, and the actor was Jason Lee, better known to many people as Earl, uh, but my name is Earl. Now, uh, that comparison I find is really interesting because if you look at him, he does look a bit like Jason Lee.
2: Oh yeah, you can totally see like looking at like um, like an old picture, like um, two thousand and eight uh, Chikara, and you know, like it, it almost looks unrecognisable from the man that we ended up with um, in WWE and that. But you can definitely see like the the Jason Lee comparisons, and well, I'm a Kevin Smith fan as well, so I particularly really liked the the nod to Rats. I was quite big on that. Never seen the film myself. Uh, I don't don't think I've watched too many Kevin.
1: Uh, smith films uh, it's probably something i should do a lot more because the ones i've seen have been pretty good i just remember the story i heard about kevin smith about being told when he was on an airplane that he had to move seats because he was affecting the dynamics of the plane <laughs> <laughs>
0: because, no, i've heard it, that before yeah it's uh but now the only kevin smith film i've really seen are the jane silent bob movies where they or Clerks. that's the other one well that's
1: some of the better but the good ones so it's a good uh, start
0: I've just seen that picture from uh, Shikara in 2008 as well. I swear, he looks so different compared to, you know, what he looked like in, like, WWE and AEW. Like, his beard is a lot shorter and his hair is a lot shorter. He looks much more... He looks almost like... um, Almost looks like Skeet Ulrich a little bit.
1: But he he had the vest. The vest was something he had for a while. You know, the vest was a big part of his character eventually uh, as he would go through the indies. But, uh, Dave, in terms of his... uh, he trained and he debuted as a... He first got the wrestler as a backyard wrestler. So not the traditional way a lot of people do Like, kind mm. of. But he was trained by two men who, I'm going to be honest, I've never heard of. And Kirby Marcos and Rick Matrix. But one
0: man I have remembered, Dave. I'm not too sure you might be familiar with him no. for your time. Tony Mameluke. I know who Tony Mameluke is from the, the full-blooded Italians in ECW.
1: Yeah. Never made it to the WWE one,
0: really. I don't think he really well, thought there. Well, little Guido definitely did there, but I'm not sure Tony Mamaluke got as much exposure. But I am aware of who he is, and I think pretty sure he came back for the WWE ECW sort of time. And uh, funnily enough, at the same time when Brody Lee was getting involved with backyard wrestling, he was doing it. uh, He was competing under the the ring name Huber Boy Number Two, uh, with none other than WWE ECW's resident super jobber Colin Delaney. Like, I never thought I'd see these two like crossing paths let alone at the time you know where it was sort of the mid 2000s and obviously Colin Delaney was just moved to the ECW brand at that point and during that time John Huber Brody Lee is still just getting into wrestling as under the backyard sort of banner I mean you talk about Colin Delaney there, it was quite a they,
1: they did a lot of work together especially when they were in Chicago uh, they were a, a trio it was Brody Lee, Colin Delaney, who was uh, he was a part of the Olsen twins at a particular point. Colin Delaney and uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, oh, Jimmy so Olsen, tonight Not, not Mary Kate and Ashley. Not Mary Kate and Ashley. No, not uh,
2: <laughs>
1: not uh, Wanda from the Marvel films. No. no, she was there, but they were a part of that. They were scheduled to be in the two thousand and eight King of Trios tournament as Team Doctor Keith. <laughs> but Paul Delaney got signed by WWE at that point, and yeah, that was that was the end of that particular one. Uh, but granted, the, using the name Brody was interesting because it led to the beginning of what would be a lot of uh, comparisons with uh, the, the late great Bruiser Brody in terms of his look, his style, you know, and when you're just coming into the wrestling world. There's not many better names to be compared to than uh, Bruiser Brody.
2: Aye, I mean the the comparisons started coming in quite thick and fast and yeah, Bruiser Brody is truly a legend, sadly taken from us too soon. Um as we've discussed before in the dark side of the ring kind of stuff, um and what happened then. But yeah, the the comparisons came in came in quite thick and fast. And when you look at it, like sort of how, how he how he carried himself at the time as well, and some of like his first big names that he fought, like Claudio Castagnoli, good old Cesaro,
1: Yay, yeah.
0: So if I you to, to translate that for Dave, <laughs> I know. Hey, listen, i watch up up down there. I know who big Claudio is. I and um, they had the they were teaming with like Eddie Kingston and Grizzly Redwood, you know, as part of the Roughnecks, and obviously Claudio Cesaro was with Brian Danielson and Dave Taylor, all guys who appeared in WWE at some point, and they were known as Team Uppercut. So, I mean, that's... I mean, that's a big... a big uh, all-star cast you've got in just this one match alone with their opening King of Trios match.
1: So, it's quite a... Uh, a group to have associated with that one. But, uh, Dave, I think it, we talk about Shikara, And something interesting about this Shikara thing is when he debuted there, he wasn't actually scheduled to be at the event in which he made his debut. Mm
0: -hmm. He was
1: actually there visiting friends, but uh, other wrestler, Rick Lezoufi, no-showed. So the booker of Shakara, who um, I'm not going to name, who's been aware of wrestling in the last 18 months knows why. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he offered the Lee a chance, you know, to get in the ring and try and impress him. And two months later, they get brought back. And that's where it kind of blossomed, because Shikara was the place where he really made his name. And that's quite interesting that that's how he got into it. And it wasn't really in the gimmick that we would know him for. He kind of debuted as The Right Stuff Brody Lee. He came out to you kids on the block as his theme music, which is (laughs) so much different to what he would have become.
0: Oh, that screams mid to late 2000s if I've ever seen it. Uh, But, you know, it just goes to show, sometimes all you need is a little bit of... uh, little bit of luck to get your big break in in the wrestling scene and obviously this was shikara obviously being an independent promotion and stuff it's not as well known as compared to like you know WWE, and AEW, but that, that those two months after his first match um he actually ended up going on a, a bit of a winning streak as well not being pinned or submitted for the remainder of 2007 which was quite a quite a, a big accomplishment as well but i think it was sort of expected given that you know, I think just his sheer size and presence definitely made him very much a a very notable character, and the way he carried himself in the ring. You know, it's it's no surprise he went on for such a, a very long undefeated streak because I think they were set to build him up as this monster sort of competitor, and it doesn't matter if it was face or heel. You know, I think fans were going to cheat him either way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, Grant, I think it was this five year spell in Shakara that was his you know his big prominence before he signed with WWE this was the place that he made his name and it was shown in the fact that he was you know he competed for the Shikara Grand Championship he was one of the first guys to you know fight for that in the the 12 large summit tournament back in 2011 and you know if he hadn't signed that contract with WWE he could have you know held that title I mean he did lose in a match for it in his final uh, night in the promotion to Eddie Kingston who obviously played a big part in
2: his career as well. I mean, you look at some of the names that he had in that time there, obviously he had these matches with Cesaro Danielson, um, a lot of his earlier bits were tag teams uh, against even the likes of the throwbacks, which was Hatfield and a favourite of many of us in the podcast, Sugar Dunkerton. Uh, You know, it's, it's quite funny when you think some of these names have crossed paths all those years ago. Um, but yeah, it was a legitimate injury that forced him out of the, the tournament for the inaugural championship. But yeah, it, like, he kind of made his name there and Squared Circle Wrestling, they they two kind of went hand-in-hand hand as his two main promotions and gave a lot of like sort of big matches with some of the names that he's went against over those two. Yeah, uh, Dave, some of
1: the... He you, you had a spell at Dragon Gate USA as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the names he faced there, I mean, Grant mentioned it was crazy that you think about some of these collisions, you know, 10 years ago, but they had names in there that John Moxley, he was in the ring with, Jimmy Jacobs, Kyle Reilly, Rich Swan, and he had a bit of an altercation uh, in a tag team match on the Dragon Gate USA's first live pay-per-view with WrestleMania 21 legend, Akibono.
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's just bad to see how many people who's crossed paths with who eventually did go on to to wwe but one name you mentioned there you know moxley you know i think i think they're i think they first collided in evolve i think it was and um yeah that would just be the beginning of what would turn into be like a decades-long working relationship between the two it doesn't matter if they were feuding with each other or you know being allies with each other it's It just goes to show like even in earlier times you can you know face certain people in you know an unknown promotion and then somewhere down the line whether it be 10 15 years you could be facing each other again on the grand stage and it really is a who's who of every sort of beloved independent talent that he's brushed shoulders with so as you mentioned jimmy jacobs austin aries was another one uh kylo reilly of course um would uh show up in nxt a little bit after he left but all these all these names it just goes to how f- full of talent the wrestling world is and how many different personalities can clash on a on a promotion that essentially just you know invites anybody that wants to compete it's and obviously you know Brody being one of these guys who had the the largest life personality he did stand out in his own unique way
1: yeah, uh, Grant before we go on to his main runs in WWE, uh, in AW, uh, we'll t- I touched briefly upon he had a, a run in Ring of Honor, which was probably, before his WWE run was probably the highest uh, in terms of, uh, you know, a, uh, large, large scale appeal he had. Uh, it was interesting that he was a part of the Age of Fall stable, uh, which is well known to many fans of the independent scene and probably some WWE France who are aware of the Indies as the stable that was essentially Seth Rollins' big break when he was uh Tyler mm-hmm.
2: Black, which was interesting. Yeah, it's again a lot of the uh, the guys crossing paths, um you had them crossing paths with Tyler Black. Outside of that in Square Circled Wrestling he had crossed paths with Kevin Steen. Um but yeah, the Ring of Honor stuff was quite a big one, align himself with them. Jimmy Jacobs was the the leader of them at the time. Um, it's it's just crazy. Like all these different names that have been like that are quite legendary, uh Necro Butcher been thrown in there.
1: Oh, I had, a, had an Anything Goes uh match with uh, Necro Butcher. I've not actually seen it, but this the description of it alone sounds like it was an absolute
2: nutshell. <laughs> oh there's there's nothing there's nothing half and half about it, like it is insane. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Necro Butcher, he's a guy and he's
0: I like think he's still in his 30s and he looks like he's had a... <laughs> in his 60s, he's had a rough oh, time around as a necro butcher. He's uh, he's currently 48 and oh my god he looks about 20 years older. Oh yeah, he's, he's had a rough time of it. He's had a rough time of it. He's a hardcore wrestler, you win the rest
1: of but my god it's something else. But we move on to March of 2012, where uh, it is speculated that he had signed a developmental contract with WWE and it would have turned out to be true as he would debut in the then Florida championship wrestling in May of that year under the name Luke Harper. Uh, It wouldn't be an SCW for long obviously as that would rebrand to NXT but he would shortly make his name in that brand as three months after the rebrand he would debut as a follower of Bray Wyatt, the first son of the Wyatt family. You would then shortly be followed by Eric Rowan and then, you know, the rest is really history on that one. Uh, guys, I know you were well into the NXT and it's hey, but did you catch a lot of the stuff in the early days of NXT when this
0: was just getting going? Aye, a little bit. It was, this was sort of when, you know, the black and gold brand NXT really started to take take shape. And you know championships were being introduced. The tag teams were again a little bit um, sort of, you know couple pairing of singles guys here and there. But you know Harper and Rowan were felt like a legitimate tag team under the Wyatt family stable. Because, I mean, they'd gone over guys like Percy Watson and Yoshitatsu, which I never thought I'd see that team together. But Percy Watson obviously being from the game show NXT, and Yoshitatsu was just another face in the crowd for WWE C W. So he was, yeah, two relatively unknown talents. But then you obviously had Bo Dallas and Michael McGillicutty, the latter to be known, Curtis Axel. So there was, there were some, they did did establish themselves as a, a very strong team, only missing out on the tag titles first time uh, by losing to Neville and Oliver Grey, but they did become tag team champions eventually, and they did go on to have a couple of uh, great matches, you know, with like Corey Graves, Cassius Ono, and also Neville again. But their, their time on NXT was almost blinking you mess because I don't think they were even on the, the brand for even a full year.
1: Uh, Dave, you've been quite harsh to Yoshitashi. you got to remember, I've got Grant on the panel here, and Grant, I've seen a lot of. Good work from uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mm.
0: Tatsu in the time, as opposed to what I'm just in WWE. I'm sorry, like I, I only know Yoshi Tatsu from when he was signed in WWE. I don't know anything else about his uh, about his previous promotions and stuff.
1: Exactly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> i currently only know uh, Jiro really for taking a dump on uh, live NXT TV. So there we go. <laughs> uh, aside from Yoshi Tatsu, what do you remember from
2: this time? I really remember sort of like the the tag, like the tag title match against Adrian Neville and Corey Graves when they actually lost it. That was a particularly beautiful, beautiful match. But yeah, like Dave says, they weren't there that long. It was a very much blink and you'll miss it. They are, they, they were. I always felt like the Wyatt's right from the get go. Were package came together so fast, so easily, with such little effort. It was beautiful. I still remember the the Vignettes pro, like, promoting the up- upcoming debut and I was mesmerised.
1: I remember, I, I, I remember because they had the, they had this on Sky at the time, uh, NXT was on Sky Sports at that time and uh, I remember that because they were really prominent, they were at the top of the card in NXT at that particular point. Uh, you know they had, they were thrust into the feud where you mentioned the guys like uh, Neville Corey Graves, but they also Cassie Zona was right in there. William your Regal got involved in the feud with the Wyatt family, I think, at that point as well, which was interesting. Because, but I mean, as the group at a home I and Dave, uh, obviously the the whole design of it with these kind of cult group from the type of swamp woods type area. And I think even if you've never seen Brody Lee's work outside of WWE. Just the general look that he developed over that time in the Indies, you know, they had the his hair had grew out with the beard had kind of grew out a bit more in that particular point. It was looking less Jason Lee. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it fair. But the kind of shut and everything. I mean, even before he stepped foot in the ring, you thought this guy is a perfect fit for this group that they're doing. You could argue that Eric Rowan was maybe a bit, you know, was less of a fit, but he just looked like a, a weirdo at times.
0: So that's kind of how it <laughs> worked. But Harper did look like he had generally been grown up in a swamp. Aye, that—that's he. The look he portrayed, you know, with the vest, the jeans, and the really, the really scruffy look about him, it, it did make you feel like he was raised by wolves in a forest. So, it was—I mean, it, it really suited the Wyatt family gimmick down to a T, because you know the cult, you know, isolates itself from society and it lives, you know in the deepest part of the woods and that's how they basically raised themselves so that was the kind of character that was being portrayed and it, it, it came across really well like I don't know if you've ever seen the what's it called the wrong turn movies but or maybe if you're a bit into sort of more classic films like Deliverance and stuff like it's these sorts of you know hillbilly type characters that this stable reminded me of and Brody Lee's portrayal of Luke Harper just fit the mould so well yeah because Grant, the thing about it is, I mean, in the early days,
1: he didn't really, he didn't wrestle ahead of a lot, I think, at this particular point, because their main role at this, at this point, him and Rowan, was mainly to assist, to assist, why? I mean, he had the matches in the tournament and NXT to crown the Tag Team Champions, but on the main roster, you know, they didn't really, they had some brief, uh, what, matches, but they didn't really come across as
2: a presence in the ring, it was more the stuff they did with Wyatt that made them more intimidating. I mean they at first it felt like it was kinda slow and sporadic, but over like over a period of a few months they they went on a fairly decent winning streak. Um, I think I their pretty much their in ring debut was uh, Smackdown and that's where they beat tons of funk. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> He's on a roll <laughs> Uh, I was devastated when their match with uh, Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow got pulled from WrestleMania 29.
0: <sighs> or was that an eight-person? It was an eight-person mix tag, yeah. It was Rhodes Scholars and the Bellas versus Tons of Funk and the Funkdactyls. Yeah, I remember sitting in Derek's house at that point going, where's
1: Star? <laughs> where's Brodus? <laughs> oh, I, was a, I didn't care about Brodus. I literally just uh, let out a cry. Where's Deadside? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going go back to you on this one, I think the fact that the early days other than the Kane stuff, they weren't really, the Wyatts weren't really thrust up in the roster, they were kind of the mid to lower cards type thing, but it was when they integrated them with Polk and then integrated them with Daniel Bryan that the angle started to work well and, you know, the three of them just, you could just see how well they were clicking on the main roster, which as we've known throughout the last seven years since, you know, doesn't always happen.
2: Yeah, they were they were one of those ones that sort of started slow, um, quite often like, you know, people's attention span can be like right now, where the people were kind of like, uh, is it going anywhere? Like the gimmick's kind of cool, but is it going anywhere? Putting them with Punk and Brian, and it just escalated from there. They just kept on going on a roll, and that led on to some of their more memorable feuds against the likes of eventually The Shield. You know, you you were talking about the Wyatts, everything that they were put to, I was sold right from the get-go. But it was great to see other people finally being like, this is brilliant, I'm getting into this.
1: Yeah, I was quite sold on very early on, I think uh, me and Laura had not long started going out when when they debuted, and I think I convinced her to watch Raw. (laughs) <laughs> like live I don't know how I managed that. I think just not the it to this day but it was the night that they debuted and I just loved I mean the vignettes were great leading up to it but I loved how they just sent a camera guy to the swamp just in a house in the swamp and it uh, is Luke Harper Brodie Lee who's kind of guiding the cameraman around the place he's just like Shh, be quiet and it's just it's, it's such it's absolutely brilliant I think Rowan's out the back just cutting wood just like and this, it's just like this, even that is it's just like this is creepy you know <laughs> so it can be
0: quite intimidating which was something to behold um, was that cameraman ever ever seen again? I mean who knows what they did with him after they finished filming the, the vignettes maybe it was just like you know it, it turns into Blair Witch Project somebody just ventures out to the swamp and finds a lost camera with all that uh, all that footage on it
1: I don't know, I think they just gave him some weights, put him in the garage and then two years later Brunch Strowman, it's built, so,
0: <laughs> you never know, it could have been that. Maybe uh, that's what it was, Adam share before you know he got jacked and grew a big beard. Who knows, the cameraman could have had a beard, you never know, we've never seen him, and um, we'll never see him again.
1: Uh, Dave, uh, Grant mentioned the Shield match, it's mm. something we've talked about in many shows in the past. It's literally a case of when the when it's hot, you hit it, and they did that for this particular one. And many people, many myself included, still look back on this match and think I could watch this every day of the week because it's absolutely fantastic. And it it made stars out of all, well, made stars out of all six,
0: even Roy. <laughs> yeah, like this. This goes down as one of my favorite matches of 2014, like, and I think pretty sure both of them were were heel stables at the time. I think the shield was sort of slowly transitioning to a face stable at this point, but either way, nobody cared. They just wanted to see Faction Warfare uh, Elimination Chamber, and it was none of these guys hit a wrong note. You know, everybody found their strive everybody got a, a decent showing and it spread all the way to the barricade as well at one point where i can't remember if it was um i think it was roman and uh, harper that actually went to the outside over the barricade and wyatt i think pinned ambrose i can't, I can't remember exactly the final outcome but even to the even before anybody took a swing and even before the bell rang like the crowd was chanting this is awesome you knew it was going to deliver and i'm really pleased that it did because it is arguably one of their best matches ever
1: I, uh, God, this is the first time i remember him you know you know showing his range of offense because i didn't catch a lot of these uh working shikara and etc at the time at this time and I'm, i've seen it now looking back but it's amazing just how well he moved i mean me. It was obvious, you know, he was a powerful wrestler. He's just his clothesline is, you know, devastating. But the fact how easy he could do, like, the, the tope moves and that thing, just like how he could move like a cruiserweight, it was kind of like a prelude to the things that we would see, you know, a few years down the line, the likes of Keith Lee, Dominic Dijakovic, those guys.
2: Uh, it was one of the, like, sort of, like, a, a good example in that kind of era of, as as the old classic saying goes, that like, a, big, a big guy that can move like that was the old... The old sort of tagline you always had in commentary. It's like, wow, look at that! How that big guy moves, and he was—he had a devastating offense. And during the kind of the, like the earlier bits of Wyatt's, it was kept quite limited. And um, they just kind of went for like fairly slow-paced, heavy hitting. But when you actually seen him getting to go up a gear, and seeing what he was truly capable of, for anyone that hadn't seen that before, it's like, wow! What 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 else can this guy do? What what what's let's, let's see where we can go with this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in a way, they will take notice in 2014 because 2014 is arguably one of the best years that look up broadly had in WWE. Uh, Dave, everybody mentions in time, you know, the Usos had these great matches with the likes of the U Day and etc. Not too many people, for some strange reason, go back and talk about the matches the U Day had with Harper and Rowan. It's often mentioned that. The, the other involvement, which we'll talk about later on, in the triple threat, you know, feud going into WrestleMania in 2018. But the matches they put on at Miranda Bank and Battleground in 2014, the summer, whilst Bray was in the midst of his feud with John Cena, so very high profile, is very underrated.
0: The the two out of three falls at Battleground between the Usos and Harper and Rowan is still arguably one of my favorite tag team matches ever. The other two being uh, DIY Revival two out of three falls, And undisputed Error versus Lorcan and Birch, like this, there's just something about two or three falls that just adds an extra element of, like, tension and storytelling. But you could easily could see how Brody Lee was Brody Lee was given enough time to really showcase what he was capable of. You know, as Grant mentioned, uh, you know, he was doing like topes stuff very much a hard-hitting type person. He could deliver big boots really quickly. He had the the Discus Lariat clothesline, which is a very underrated finisher in its own right. But he was also very strong with mat-base and wearing down their opponents as well, and I think that's what suited him to a T. But working with a very dynamic, high-flying team like the Usos as well, it was almost like a clash of styles, but they blended brilliantly. Uh, But you could just tell, I think, in that match, Harper was like one of the key standouts of of the entire match
1: oh yeah absolutely I mean, Greg, well, this battleground match in 2014 the, the poor four guys they had to they opened the show and had to follow the pre-show match between the the funkadactyls finally clashing you know the mega powers exploding in 2014 but you know it's amazing looking back that a match a tag match involving harper Uh, is the longest match on a card that's main evented by John Cena beating Kane, Randy Orton and Roman Reigns in a fatal (laughs) four-way. That's that's so refreshing to see.
2: I know, like, actually giving them the time, like, because, you know, as they're often called, like, the the curtain twitcher match, the opener. um, But they treated it like it was a main event. They gave it time. All four of them went in for it no one came out of it looking bad Like a lot of people still to this day give Eric Rowan I think a harder time than really what he deserves because he can actually work he can really work very well and in his tag team work he was, he was brilliant You know, and I feel that his tag teaming with uh, with Brody was always one of the most fun tag teams to watch whether it was as the Wyatt family or as we'll discuss later the Bludgeon Brothers
1: I think Rowan his singles career was badly hurt by that stairs match he has with the big show that year. I don't think he ever recovered from that as a singles competitor. Well Brody Lee still had a solid enough, you know, few months going into 2015, but obviously kinda of just faded away. Er uh, Dave, how well how much in that year did you see into Brody Lee's eyes? Because oh. as twenty fourteen concluded we started getting these video vignettes of just these eyes. And for a few weeks, uh, a lot of people are kind of like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Until it kind of turns out that this is, you know, the Wyatt family splits up that summer. They go their own ways, you know. And lo and behold, the authority who are in a feud with John Cena and need, power, need, you know, big power to help win the Survivor Series that year recruit uh, such an unauthoritative wrestler in the form of a man that wears a white vest. <laughs> and he comes in and it's like, right, you've done all these big eye, intimidating when it's just done that he's going to be one of the guys for Triple H. But hey-ho, for the month or so that it kind of what they ran with it. It was great.
0: Yep. And he even won the Intercontinental title at that point as well. Like, defeating Ziggler in quite surprising it's... fashion as well because we've always, during his time in WWE, we've always seen him as a tag team guy with, you know, with Rowan and the Wyatts. But, in his first sort of big solo breakout moment, he actually wins the the intercontinental title, and it, it it adds extra reinforcement for Team Authority at the time. So he ties in very well as not just like a solo champion, but also an extra an extra man for the bigger picture. If that makes sense, and I suppose that was countered in a way by Rowan joining Team Cena, but that was just. I think that was just a very weird alliance in that aspect. No, Harper's alignment with authority was was so, so much better done. And it looked like, you know, it was the beginning of a massive singles push for him. But when he lost the title to Ziggler back at TLC that year, it was... uh, I don't know, it just felt like the rug had been pulled out from under him too soon. Like, I felt like they were really, really finally going to push him as a singles guy. But he just, as we'd seen in the years ahead, he just never seemed to really hit the heights as a, as a singles guy.
1: Yeah, 27 days his Intercontinental title reign lasted for. Granted, the match he loses the Intercontinental Championship to Ziggler at TLC that year is an absolute banger, but it gives you that feeling that kind of we've seen so many times from WWE in the past with so many guys that you think this guy's got the capability and then when he loses this quick you think yeah. they're going to botch it with him and if you look twenty fifteen that fear
2: looked like it was going to happen. Yeah, like this this kind of like the strong start for the singles push it just seemed to go off the rails really quickly after the whole authority thing and I I do feel like to an extent he was kind of lost in the shuffle a bit like they didn't know what to do with him they had a lot of parts moving around Um, and I do feel that like you know one of the biggest crimes is him dropping that IC belt back I feel that he, he deserved at least a few months with it to really show the people what he could do
1: yeah because i don't even i can't remember the
2: ziggler even get a long run after that with the belt again i
0: think that Uh, it was 2015 so because
1: i know this is the point where the because barrett wins the belt and the whole ic title keeps getting stolen about and then we get that uh, the ladder match yeah that ladder match at uh, yeah, WrestleMania that particular year, where he absolutely destroys uh, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, a devastating powerball which leads to a quite an entertaining Chicago Street Fight that they actually have extreme
0: rules that year. So it's oh, that actually that that Street Fight actually is recorded as one of WWE's longest matches ever at 56 minutes. Like it was sheer madness. Like these guys, they they opened the show, they disappeared for about half an hour 45 minutes or so and yeah they came back still fighting and then the i think the the pinfall was scored i can't remember if it was either after the u.s title match or the divas match but it went on for that long it was and it's still recorded as one of the longest matches ever it's it's just one of these little things you know you, you don't take a second look at until you look at you know Brody lee's specific profile and you think he's done so many incredible moments but yet it just doesn't seem to, you know, get that recognition for it. The powerbombing Moxley through the ladder is one of the sickest bumps I've ever watched, especially when it was a, a bridged ladder on the outside and Moxley looked like he landed on his neck as well. It was it was a horrific spot to watch. I have not, I've not
1: read. It's probably, gonna, it's probably in Moxley's book. Moxley will talk about that spot in his book somewhere. Um, no doubt. I think at the time he was very much... I think you admitted at the time it was,
0: it was hot like fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? It would, I mean, if you were power bombed at you well, you know they use like wooden ladders for bridge spots and stuff, but it's, it's still hard. It's not hard like a bastard.
1: Mm-hmm. But uh, Grant, interestingly, on the Moxley point, uh, which is interesting as well, if you kind of look how 2020 went, uh, he was heavily involved with a lot of Dean Ambrose, John Moxley throughout the year of 2015. I think it comes to fruition because he has. The match that Dave mentioned that uh, Extreme Rules that particular year, and then he and Bray come back together later in the year, in the summer, which is a sign that WWE I thought I've kind of gave up on them as a singles competitor that team, which is sad in itself. But we'll talk about that in a wee bit later on when we talk about the next type of push, and then the two of them end up feuding with Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose at SummerSlam. And then we get the extra element of Braun Strowman joining the Wyatt family, and then they eventually have a six-man tag at Night of Champions that year, where Chris Jericho is surprisingly added to the fray. I think if you look at grabbing your AEW head on of how the the Moxley Brody Lee feud went in 2020, this is quite interesting how much they kind of were paired together in 2015.
2: Yeah, there was actually like quite a... The, the two of them just always seemed to find a way back to each other. Um, and I think to an extent what WWE were trying to do, they were like, they're like, right, we're not sure about you and a singles guy, so we'll put you back with Wyatt. Oh, uh, wait, Rowan's injured. Um, Rollins is doing his thing, so... We're going to have like a two-thirds of the Shield vs two-thirds of the Wyatt feud to try and recapture that. But it was like lightning in the bottle the first time. They never managed to capitalize on that a second time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just it Game, it was kinda I think this particular entity of the Wyatt family, uh just did not work until I mean the Braun Strowman's we first played Braun Strowman, great singles run that he'd eventually have, but that run didn't come until the Wyatt's broke up. I mean if you kinda look at what happened to these three guys after the after by the Wyatt oh, all the four guys, sorry, you know, uh in the time they had, they were they were positioned to be feuding with Brock Lesnar. It fell through. Mm-hmm. They were fed to the Brothers of Destruction at Survivor Series that year for the Undertaker's twenty-fifth anniversary. And um Yeah, Eric Rowan was fed to the rock at WrestleMania. Oh, so
0: pure Rowan. Har-
1: Harper was even Harper was the side guy in that kind of thing. He never really felt like the main point of that one. I kind of felt like
0: He'd been pushed aside, even Rowan to an extent. It kind of been pushed aside for Strowman. Uh, it was a very tricky time, you know. Introducing obviously somebody who would go on to win the Universal Title, Braun Strowman, and he was—I uh, think he appeared in a couple of NXT house shows a bit, you know, under his Sir sort of Adam Sher persona. But um, yeah, this was a weird time because I think they were hit with the also the combination of bad luck, you know, with Rowan getting injured as well and only operating at seventy-five percent capacity, but. It's not like they weren't involved in big programs as such, you know, because obviously the Brothers of Destruction at Survivor Series that year—it was a, it was a big deal to be a part of it. But you're right; it's the the flip side of that is they were basically cannon fodder for the Brothers of Destruction, and I think Harper and Wyatt were actually the ones that were selected to compete, even though everybody assumed it was just going to be Wyatt and Strowman. So it was some very some very weird booking and. A little bit mixed as well given you know personal stuff and injuries etc but they did have a that interesting uh eight man elimination tables match at tlc against the ecw originals which i thought was quite a good way to get them over as as a as a full faction Because i think only rowan got eliminated in that match everybody else survived so all in all it was a pretty solid performance from them on that part but yeah going into 2016 definitely a lot of missed booking opportunities uh, you know with Brock Lesnar you know having the reaction in the Royal Rumble but Harper did get a one on one match with Lesnar at the roadblock pay per view that year again it was more of a squash to uh, sort of continue the, the Wyatt family feud And but then it just went in a completely different direction come Wrestlemania season uh, Harper was was he not off the TV by that point uh, he, like he, he didn't make it to Mania
1: he didn't make it to Mania though, he suffered a knee injury on uh, an untelevised match of Raw. Put him out for, I, six, him out for I, six months.
2: I thought that Lesnar match at Roadblock was a two-on-one handicap match.
1: It was a, it, it was. It was, it was it, a it was, two-on-one handicap match, but Wyatt never really those the ring, so it's technically... <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a two-on-one handicap match, but Wyatt never actually does it.
0: No, oh, yeah, it's much. just Harper did all the work, yeah.
1: It's pretty much Wyatt gets fed to Lesnar. No, no, Harper gets fed to Lesnar and it's pretty... Yeah, it, it kinda ends the feud. This is kinda the match just goes out, there's the feud the, but if you watch what happens at the rumble, what happened at the rumble was really good. Like if that was the WrestleMania match it would have been great. But I think they kinda saw how I can't remember was it Fastlane where they did the triple threat, Lesnar, Reigns and Ambrose. Yeah, that's it. Fastlane. Yeah, All and right. they kinda they kinda saw he thought Ambrose works well with
0: Lesnar, so putting end together. But that was a fucking bad move as well. That was that was even worse. They were vi- they Harper in particular was victim of horrid booking and horrid timing when it came to injuries, especially you know up to WrestleMania season and after the Royal Rumble, because that's the time where you know storyline should be built and you know he sh- he should be getting showcased. Uh, particularly because he hasn't had that many WrestleMania moments, you know, because obviously he was in the 2015 ladder match, but he never won it. And I think his only other WrestleMania moment was when he won the tag titles with Rowan at Mania 34 in 2018. Aside from that, he's just been in pre-show battle royals, injured or managerial roles. So it's, he's been, he was hard done by in 2016 massively. Yeah,
1: I mean, God, you mentioned that obviously, they didn't hit the same fire with the Wyatt family any other time they did it, which is fair enough. However, they did have a quite a good run after WWE did the draft in, in late 2016 to 2017. The one, of the best, I think, the better part of that element was they did something different and they added Orton into it, and they brought Harper back. And I remember Harper coming back in no mercy that year. And I was hyped as Zen for that. I thought this is great. This is, and then all the integration, the teas, the descent. I thought this could be something big like at that particular that particular time. Aye, mm.
2: uh, yeah, it was. It was a very odd, like sort of like Orton being printed. It's like, wait a minute, what? What did they do? But yeah, it, it surprisingly for the um, for the whole actually really really worked and it was quite enjoyable. And the dissension was there um culminating with that uh, that that match between harper and orton uh, on the january 24th episode of smackdown the reason i remember that because that was my birthday so i stayed up to watch it
1: <laughs> aye where well they um you know pray betrayed him it was such a sad uh, moment being betrayed by your father or your cult leader you know i don't really know how that particularly works uh, they were interesting, they had the Freebird role at this particular point as well, that they ran with as well, so technically he was given another
0: run as a champion. I Yeah, I think that was that actually recognised as his first tag team, well, first main roster tag team championship, because it was actually Orton and Wyatt that won the tag titles from uh, Slater and Rhino, and Harper just sort of subbed in as the sort of Freebird guy, so they were operating as a very different sort of Wyatt family Orton stable. Yeah, it was a very, very weird booking, especially when Randy Orton won the Royal Rumble just a couple of months later. And, you know, you mentioned the dissension in the ranks with the Wyatts and Orton and stuff. I think there was a lot of potential here to try and get Harper involved in some capacity, and that would really cement him as a singles guy. Um, Because remember when Orton said he'd forfeit his title match because Bray Wyatt won the WWE title in the Elimination Chamber? Like, that opened the door for, like i think it was between harper and aj who like drew in a battle royal and went one-on-one with each other it was it could so easily have been you know if harper earned the shot then orton says oh no wait i went back in why they didn't do a triple threat at that year's mania between the three of them is beyond me because you know harper's shown he's more than capable of being a singles guy he's he's he was adored by the fans and he had a couple of championship accolades under his wing as well, so it wasn't just a complete a complete no-brainer booking like this. This was writing on the wall, potentially, for a great WrestleMania clash, and we ended up, again, with just something what could have been.
1: Yeah, Grant, to follow up on that point Dave mentioned, I remember from the Royal Rumble, where Harper comes back and attacks uh, Bray and Oat, all the way up to that particular, you know, that Dave mentioned, that kind of battle royal, so many people were clamoring for that triple threat match the writing was pretty much there you got the triple threat in, the, in that one it would work out and I think there was a rumour going about I can't remember how true this rumour would be that the finish to that particular battle royal with him and Harper and AJ apparently Harper doesn't do the finish right and the rumour has it that Vince wasn't happy about that. that's the reason they could never get put in the triple threat match but given just how shit the Randy Orton Bray Riot match was at that particular year's WrestleMania. Even if the plan wasn't for Harper to win it, even the plan was just for him to be the guy to take the ping. how much better would it have been to have him in there for that particular match?
2: Oh, The ma- match would have been completely different. You know, we could have got rid of the, uh, the stupid gimmicks, had a straight up solid triple threat between three guys who are known to have great chemistry. Um, but it just did not come to be because if, if the rumour is true and Vince was that petty, well, that uh, just further shows Vince is like a child with these toys.
1: Yeah, it's just whoever's it the flavour of the month for that particular point. The downfall of Harper from that point, you kind of have a feeling that Vince is pissed at him by the fact that in the WrestleMania free show Andre Battle Royal that year he gets eliminated by Titus O'Neil, Titus fucking O'Neil, <laughs> not even like... I mean that year's. I mean, who was in that year's Andre Battle Royal? I'm trying to remember exactly oh, who. So,
0: Braun Strowman was in it. Gender was. Oh, no, Gronk wasn't in it. I think it was uh, Mojo Raleigh that won that year. So it was Mojo Raleigh Gender, Big Show, Braun Strowman. Who else was in it? Oh, but Big Demo was in it too. Aye, the literally the, the guys that were in this match.
1: You could have eliminated them. Would have looked so much better. I mean, Strowman, Big Show, two big guys. Yeah, that's fair enough. You know. I mean, Big Demo, he had a good run in the, in the Battle Royal. actually, he could have done it, you know. Fucking Mark Henry's in the match, he could do it. But no, uh, Sami Zayn's in the match, Sami Zayn could eliminate him too, but no, 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 no. Titus fucking O'Neil,
2: who has a no, job
1: still no. because he's a great...
2: I'm going to point out there, son, actually, a wee on your logic there. You go through all these big guys, you go big guy, big guy, big guy, then Sami Zayn. Titus O'Neil. Would fucking eat Sami Zayn, he's that much bigger than him.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I know the size thing, I know. And he get sympathy for the gingers, it's not happening. This is not what this show is about.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you imagine Sami Zayn
0: being doing it just like, like big fierce strife for Um But uh, but, then he d- but nowadays he just could claim it was a conspiracy that no, people eliminated you- him.
2: They miss an opportunity, can you imagine Sami Zayn just disappearing under the ring and suddenly out comes Eric Rowan? It's like like in a ginger Incredible Hulk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, can you imagine? Oh man, that would be... uh, Don't give ideas, you know. Royal (laughs) Rumble's not that long away. (laughs) They can do something. (laughs) Fucking no. (laughs) Who bloody knows these days? Uh, So yeah, things... Yeah, things go south for him at that particular point Uh, he's not seen he he, he briefly goes into a feud with Eric Rowan which he wins but not a lot really happens for him, he kind of disappears from television but uh, Grant we then get the vignettes that show him and Eric Rowan reuniting not as Wyatt Family 4.0 but as the Bludgeon Brothers and to add things to it They've they take the first names away from them. He's now just Harper.
2: No, I'm not gonna lie. Like the gimmick at first, I was not overly sold on. On when I saw the vignettes at first, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And then they actually came out, and I'm not gonna lie, I was like, "I'm not gonna lie. I really liked that. Like the like the stupidly sized like hammers. I was like, this is actually quite entertaining. Like they're they're actually having a bit of fun with it. It looks like." <laughs> I quite like the music. I thought the music was
1: quite different. It was just like, yeah, these yeah. let's see what these guys can do. And I think the uh, the pinnacle of this particular uh, run, Dave, is obviously the match at WrestleMania 34, where they don't just beat the Usos in the U Day. They absolutely batter the Usos in the U Day. And let's be honest, it was at a point in that particular card that it really, we really. We, uh, Quick tag matches like this fit very perfectly because we had so many
0: high impact matches that were came before it. Hmm. Like this was this was Harper and Rowan done done right. You know, it was done the same way when they first arrived on the main roster. Like, you know, new music, new gimmick, new outfits. It's it really it was really like pressing the reset button with these guys. And I honestly think they were a lot more. They looked so much more dominant as the Bludgeon Brothers. Uh, than they were with just as Wyatt family members because at least here they stood out on their own without the aura of Bray Wyatt to to help them out and their big sort of uh, undefeated run as well you know going against the Hype bros Breezango and even up all the way up to the you know the Usos in the New Day at Wrestlemania it was it was a very much blink and you miss it type match because that card was so stacked uh, now don't, I'm not sure how long the the match itself lasted, but it was it happened that quick. It almost felt like a squash match in itself. Yeah. All right, here we go. Yeah, it lasted I just, I just, not just six under minutes. just under six minutes, and this ca- and it was it was following uh, Angle and Ronda Rousey versus Triple H and Stephanie. So it was in a very awkward position on the card at the same time. So, so they may not have, um, they might have had to face the burnout section of the show, you know, when the crowd had just been hyped up from a great match, but when you watch it like out of context and just on its own, it's a dominant performance from them right from the start. And they could have used the the hammers as well because it was a triple threat match, no DQs. Oh, they should have used the
1: hammers. Oh, they should have just absolutely.
0: They should have went pure four on
1: the asses. Just like...
0: Yeah, but you could tell they were just like made of like uh, really convincing looking plastic. They didn't actually give them sledgehammers that heavy because carrying you know, stone blocks on little sticks, they, they would have either snapped or they'd just been too heavy to carry.
1: Dave, you're, uh, you're really explaining logic here, the fact that Triple H didn't have a sledgehammer really either. <laughs> this wasn't a proper one. So <laughs> imagine it's like, Jets, we want you to do this angle and we want you to carry these big, faster than heavy hammers out with you every week. right? Yeah, I don't know if I buy that.
2: <laughs> Honestly, have, you seen, have you seen the size of them? And plus, uh, there's a lot of like folk that even use big, massive, hammer-bloody things for their workouts now these days, so it wouldn't have been completely improbable for them to have something with a bit of weight to it. The
1: they have the titles for a few months. You know, They have some wins. They beat the Usos at the Greatest Royal Rumble. They beat uh, Anderson and Gallows and Money in the Bag. And then, they have the match between Hell No, I'm not really going to discuss because that was a bit... Uh. That was nuts. I was not team held no at the peak, but the rain unfortunately ended at 135 days. As it's also announced that Rowan, had torn his right bicep, and they had to put the team on hiatus. This is uh, Dave. You mentioned earlier on about injuries. This is just unfortunate because this tag team could have went on for a, a good while without that.
0: Yeah, I mean at 135 days. That's no a short rain either. That's like a good what. Five months, give or take? Four months, maybe?
1: Uh, yeah, but four months.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, it's just a case of, you know, one of the two of them being bogged down with injuries, etc. Like obviously, Harper and his knee injury came at a horrific time, and now Rowan's bicep injury just came at the worst time as well. But they did have a really good match with the New Day, so I think Woods did uh, the, the springboard elbow f- through a table on Harper, and it was a, a very, very good way to sort of finish it. But then that was basically the nail in the coffin i think for for harper because um because well, with Roan written off harper was sort of written off at the same time
1: yeah because grant has pretty much been barely seen luke harper in any capacity again in wwe really after this when he had uh, a couple of brief appearances at some shows he they had a match with dominic djiakovic at the wrestlemania access in 2019 he was in the Battle Royal that, that year after not being an, on any really form of TV at some points He uh, had a dark match with EC3 after WrestleMania that year To which point that was what was a partly him done with WWE a Partly requested his release He was meant to be, his contract was meant to be up at the end of that year WWE just, because of his injury time at that time was added on to his contract but they just didn't have really any plans to use him. He briefly came back to help Eric Rowan in his feud with Roman Reigns, but on December 8, 2019, WWE announced four men had been released. One was Harper, and the other two I've not did not go to the same. It was Sin Cara in the, the Ascension. So that was the end for him. Was this a case? of something that could have been good, but ultimately WWE just did not know how to use somebody like him, which, let's be honest, they have done so many occasions.
2: Aye, I feel um, Luke Harper as he was in WWE was a prime example of someone who the fans were behind multiple times, people wanted it, and WWE just did not listen to the fans, and they messed it up, big time. Um, to me, he, like the Intercontinental title reign should have been longer. He should have been inserted into the bigger, bigger picture, of other manias and that as well. To me, he was a potential world title, while maybe not holder because they never actually really explored his promo abilities. He still would have been a good solid main eventer for someone that was challenging, but they, they never let him talk. That was a big problem.
1: Yeah, that was, it, it, it was a shame that never gave him the mic, considering what he would do when he was given that opportunity in 2020 which moves us, Dave, to March of that year, 2020. Most people remember March 2020 as a horrific time. We first introduced to Sir Patrick Vallance and Chris Whitty who have never been off for fucking television since. <laughs> and then in Jacksonville, who have still never heard, fortunately, of Chris Whitty and Sir Patrick Vallance. <laughs> we got a debut. It had been teased for weeks before that of a leader was coming to the Dark Order the Dark Order had been talking for months about the Exalted One rumours had been flying of who the Exalted One could be Matt Hardy was one of the ones considered there were so many names considered I can't actually remember some of the names that were considered so i just got to say Matt Hardy and stick with it. But, I think Raven was another one as well ah of course Raven's always associated with things for us. but it was revealed on the 18, the March 18 2020 edition of Dynamite that the Exalted One was in fact Roddy Lee. Now, a great moment, Dave, but an unfortunate timing of this moment because March 18th, as I alluded to when I was ranting just before then, was the point where the pandemic for COVID really hit in, and this was the first AEW empty arena show, which really, if you had imagined
0: this in a full crowd, what a moment it would have been. It would have been brilliant. And it was something that the Dark Order needed as a whole as well, because at the time you know they were just more goofy than anything else and nobody was really buying the gimmick in the same way that nobody was buying the nightmare collective as well but the the arrival of the exalted one mr Brody lee was it turned everything around for the dark order and it's a again it's it's the guy that's just been plagued with bad luck throughout his career you know he get he's about to get arguably the biggest pop of his career uh amongst you know an audience of hardcore wrestling fans who have been cheering him for years and the week his reveal occurs is the week the world shuts down and everybody goes into hiding it's it's just such a shame but you could tell everybody tuned in for it to happen and even though they were there to to witness it i'm sure there were fans around the world like delighted to see him finally getting put in a prominent position in a new company
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, Grant, you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago that WWE didn't give him that opportunity from the mic, which AW flipped on its head right away. You saw, as Dave mentioned, the Dark Order before this point, you know, they looked like they were floundering. The stuff they were doing, doing them with them at the end of 2019 just wasn't working. They had to flip the script and with Brody Lee at the helm, they did that because he was He was having those vignettes where he essentially was taking the piss out of Vince with the steak thing. Obviously there's that big rumour that goes about how Vince likes his steak and all that type of stuff. He pretty much went anti-cult leader, because there was always this thing, Dark Order's a cult, join DarkOrder.com and he's like, yeah, I'd deny completely that we are a cult, you know, and he just like, he would just, he just took the ball and ran with it any time he was given a mic, or he did a, a video package or a promo backstage.
2: I absolutely and I think another thing that went underappreciated by some people but people are kind of looking back and going wow is a lot of his appearances on being the elite as well it's in particular his chemistry with John Silver always throwing the papers at him was absolutely hilarious.
1: Oh, that was good. Actually, it wasn't the way Vince likes his snake, it was uh, I think it's Alex Reynolds that sneezes in one of them and he goes, I don't <laughs> you don't sneeze. <laughs> just...
0: Yeah, it was like, you know, t- i a few jabs at Vince because I remember somebody, uh, there was another story backstage that somebody sneezed on Vince and he went off his tits about it. Yeah,
1: he's a bit of a, I think he's a bit of a I think he's, that was the second, it was like, he debuted on the 18th from the 25th they ran this thing or him. He's cutting a steak so awkwardly as well in it as well, it's just, it's, it does a great job of, of getting them because, you know, I think it's quite refreshing that somebody can be frustrated if there be without doing a prison video package,
2: you know, so, yeah. I like the fact he suited and booted for his, for his digs instead.
1: That's nah, it's completely different, I mean, Buddy Murphy was in a, he was in a prison, you know, What's Joseph Connors mentioned prisons in his latest one G's, but yeah, it is something different that works well. Uh, and obviously Dave they were they were happy enough backstage that they thought double or nothing that year. Let's stick him in the big match, let's put him with Moxley. You know, and mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's he could you know he, he was getting beaten in Battle Royals by Titus O'Neil three years earlier, earlier <laughs> and now he's in the main event of the uh, arguably AW's biggest pay
0: per view. I, well, he and Mo- as we said he and Moxley have got a lot of history together you know both as allies and as rivals so you get two guys who had really good chemistry and they know each other so well it was only fitting that they'd go ahead in the main event of uh, you know a big pay-per-view uh, but what I think let it down though I think I still think maybe he was pushed too quickly to become AEW champion I mean I appreciate you know what they were trying to do but Moxley was having such an excellent reign at that point it, it wouldn't make sense to drop it for him to drop it so soon, especially, you know, even if it's somebody who's been hyped up as Brody Lee was, as the exalted one. But then again, you know, this is the wrestling industry, and I suppose anything can happen at any time. So, it, but AEW's this was one of its bad habits, you know, in its earlier in its service within its first sort of year or so where they would push a guy who's received a lot of hype in just a short space of time only for him to fall short against the main champion and that sort of knocks them down a peg but it's not like he didn't bounce back from it though because I mean he did go on to have the feud with Cody and become only the second ever TNT champion
1: yeah I think the, a lot of people thought him losing to Moxley you know kind of maybe it hit because he'd only been in the company two months so a lot of people thought maybe it hit his momentum a wee bit but in a way, when you look at it, AEW's roster, while well, it was stacked, it wasn't as stacked as it is now. They had, had so many other guys in that Stamp Stadium Stampede match. They had Cody in that, uh, uh, or challenge for the world title, but he was in the TNT title match. I mean, given his momentum, there wasn't a lot of other options they could have done, so they could, there, there was probably no harm in it. And as they maybe showed three months later, he had the potential to recover from it.
2: Oh yeah, I mean that's it. Like um, having him like go up against Moxley, who was on a tear and losing, and making it his first loss. It wasn't exactly the worst person in the world to lose lose against. And afterwards, Lee going on his recruitment campaign with the Dark Order, bringing in Colt Cabana. Like the chemistry with him and Colt Cabana, him oh, playing into dude. Colt's denial, like sort of doubts and I loved that. That was so well done. Um, and it got people invested and it did lead up to eventually that match with Cody which to me is one of the best matches Brody Lee has ever had. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, uh, that match with Cody is, I still think it's one of my favourite ever dynamite moments. (laughs) Nothing to do with how I feel about Cody Rhodes in the slightest. I just think it's absolutely amazing, he just kind of, Dave, he goes out, Fucking lumps for about 10 minutes <laughs> yeah i think this is if i remember rightly this was the dynamite they ran on a saturday night they were near enough going head to head with takeover they were headlined by finn balor kyle o'reilly that night who mm-hmm. equally kicked lumps out of each other so it was just a it was a great night of wrestling for people getting the shit kicked
0: out of them oh uh, like that was that was a squash match like i don't think there's any other way to put it and I mean what a way to bounce back from, you know, a loss to the, the to Moxley for the AEW title. He just goes in, destroys Cody left, right, and centre, and walks out as TNT champion. Like it's it gave me Cena Lesnar vibes at SummerSlam 2014. Like, that's how one-sided that contest was. But it's exactly what a guy of his stature and his character needed, especially when, you know, he's put in such a prime position to be not only the head of a stable, but someone who was probably going to be one of the top guys in AEW. He needed that dominant performance and it reminded me so much of what could have been in his singles run, but, you know, Vince just didn't have any of it. It's it's just these missed opportunities that, you know, just because one person's bias holds somebody back. This Tony Khan must have just been like, you know what? We'll give you some creative control. We'll let you be your you your basically your brawling strongman type character and he just went out and did it brilliantly yeah uh, I
1: don't know if you maybe will agree or disagree with
0: this one I'm happy if you go either
1: way with it because my opinions on Cody Rhodes matches and certain other people in Cody Rhodes' Nightmare Family are you know different but all out that year he uh, his last pay-per-view match it's it's a match to the Dark Order it's him Colt Cabana Evil Uno and Stu Grayson losing to the most mismatched team I've ever seen in my life of QT Marshall, Dustin Rhodes, Scorpio Sky and Matt Mark, Mark Cardona. Now I don't know about you, but given how enjoyable the rematch with Cody is, the dog collar match on Dynamite, I feel like they, they should have pushed Cody to maybe come back and do the match all out. I don't know what you think, or was it the way they did it, the right way of doing it?
2: No, I, I, think, I think it worked um, for the most part. Um, I mean, I still get annoyed that Cody won the rematch because I am a firm believer of why the hell does Cody always have to get his win back? But that, yeah. that, that that could be a whole show in its own thing that we could easily go into, but we're not going to do that right now. But you know, oh, no, um, you still you still got a long while to go. We need to build
1: up the, the you know the things to talk about.
2: <laughs> but you know, like that that the match it was such a such a weird team, and for the the Dark Order to lose it against such a mismatched team. I. I I felt there was a little bit of a misstep there um, on the booking front. I I just, I I still can't get my head around it to be honest to this day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Dave, that all-out card—it was—it was was an interesting one. They had some good stuff. They had some decent stuff on it. It still stands out to me as one of the worst pay-per-views. I'm not going to lie. That match just didn't feel right. you know, Jericho gets submerged in a vat of Mimosa. You know, um mm. You know, there was the bloody... There was Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara. Feud that should never... It was just never ending. Uh There was that fucking tooth and nail match between Swole and thickin' Brick Baker. Oh my god, this is horrendous pay-per-view. I should not have in <laughs> this camera in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that was, stay, away from, stay away from All Out. Yeah, that's, that was... Oh, it was a nightmare
2: that was a pay-per-view that was only saved by the fact that of like it's like 11 or 12 matches you had like maybe like three matches which were absolutely outstanding and, yeah, and when you put when, like it's like it's like if you took away those three matches this pay-per-view would be a, a total dud beginning to end but those three matches kind of make it go from like if you're putting on a scale of 10 it's like a six now these, yeah, these matches
1: that yeah. six Yeah, there was a. Sheeta Thunder Rosa was pretty decent, you know. FTR and Omega Arden Page were pretty good, and the main event was pretty decent too. But yeah, I'm not the daughter of this pay per view. Uh, I did mention uh, that unfortunately, Brody Lee has his final match uh, on October 7th, 2020, the match I mentioned where he loses the TNT title back to Cody Rhodes. It was a rain that is recognised as 46 days by AW. So, not the longest run of it. And then, unfortunately, he would go on hiatus for what was an, un, an undisclosed injury, which we would sadly learn was the injury that would lead to his death, which was announced on Boxing Day last year, 2020. Bruni Lee sadly passed away at the age of 41 after nearly two months being treated for what was the injury which was a, a long issue at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville Florida. Not gonna be one of those podcasters that sit there and speculate on such and such things that happened, just gonna leave it as that, but
2: It's a shape we I mean they did, they did confirm what the official cause of death was it was idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis um, there was a lot of uncouth rumours put out at the time and well done to AW for the fact that they kept everything quiet
1: <clears throat> yeah absolutely nothing They literally the point where the thing gets announced you're like what where's he been he was on telly two months ago you know, three months ago you know it's mental uh, Dave you know it's quite sick because it looked like he was on the road to having an absolutely stellar run I mean obviously at the age of 41 he wasn't gonna be there forever you know he was, he was mm-hmm. probably His career was probably going to be in a winding down few years, but he still had the potential to have three, four fantastic years in that one that could have led the Dark Order to so many heights, you know?
0: Yeah, it was was a genuine shock to see that he'd passed away given it wasn't that long ago that, you know, he was still competing in AEW. But I think the most shocking, another shocking time was obviously like um, Eddie Guerrero's death where he wrestled the, like... The match against kennedy and he died only a few days later i mean that was that was just as shocking so but you're right yeah i mean at the, the age of 41 it, it's difficult to say how long he would have la- like how much longer he would have been wrestling for but because i think there was a point where he even considered retiring before jumping to to wwe i mean as, as early as that but i mean you look at guys in the wrestling industry now guys and women I should say like who are in their 40s and still competing like I'm pretty sure is Christopher Daniels not like in his 50s now? Just like Aye,
2: Christopher Daniels in his 50s <laughs> So,
0: well I, I think it just goes so age doesn't really necessarily be an indicator of when I, somebody's going to wind down their career like somebody could keep going uh until like their mid 50s i mean look look at sting he's still going like in his late 50s early 60s now so Sting. <laughs> i mean brody could have easily done the same thing even if he just wanted to be the an inactive competitor but sort of leaning sort of he could have been like an on-screen authority figure or uh, you know still being the cult leader kind of thing who never got involved he would just send his his lackeys to do the work for him it was there still was a ton of potential for him know come the turn of the new year and who's to say he couldn't have just um won the AEW world title at some point because given how much admiration and respect he had his peers amongst his peers across any promotion and he could back up in the ring just as well he had all the accolades and the credibility to have at least one world title run on a main promotion
2: yeah i mean
1: Looking at the stats of Grant on it, he had hundred. No, had 1,171 matches in his career. Obviously, WWE, there was loads of house shows in that particular point. He won 45.6% of them, which has most successful year one percentage-wise actually being 2020 in the AEW, where he won 11 of his 14 matches that he had there, which just shows that he was on the path to being one of their top guys. And obviously, when you see all the things that people were saying about him, not just the guys in the AEW locker room, but so many others across the wrestling world. I mean, the guys like the U-Day and that type of stuff are are very vocal of how much, you know, Brody meant to them. Obviously, Bray Wyatt. i seen something this week that actually at Wrestlemania this year, he had a bit of a subtle tribute in his attire, I think, or or his entrance or something like that. So it just shows that the impact he had He's, he was a true he was a
0: you know a locker room leader even mm-hmm. though it wasn't you know shown until you know he unfortunately passed a uh, couple of other statistics for you he got wrestling observer I didn't know you were my, I my
2: oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I think I think another big sort of thing like you know it, it kind of showed it didn't matter where you looked no one had a bad thing to say about him and out of the tragedy of his death it also in 2021, CM Punk stated how this was all handled by AEW. Um, the decorum, the, 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 the subtle intact and in how they handled it was part of what inspired Punk to come back to wrestling again, um, which says a lot about how well-loved he was and how well this was handled compared to other things that have happened in the wrestling industry. Yeah, it's something
1: Dave tell us about that stat that
0: you were going to say yeah that's my bad sorry Um, but yeah just to sort of load another thing he was sort of like an unsung hero of the of his time in WWE as well because he got um, best gimmick Wrestling Observer newsletter in 2013 as part of the Wyatt family and he also got Slammy Award for Match of the Year in 2014 which was Team Cena versus Team Authority so not one that he stood out as a singles guy but um, you know he was part of you know, matches or gimmicks that you know had people talking you know it kind of it's kind of like the, the new day almost you know you see them as like a, a faction but individually they could be credited as unsung heroes not to mention as well PWI in 2015 he was ranked number 24 in top 500 singles wrestlers of that year and but that year was obviously won by I think it was 2015 I think that was uh, Seth Rollins yeah
1: Seth Rollins won it, and he was t- see twenty fourth. But you look at the guys that were top ten that year. I mean, uh, Seth Rollins, John Cena, AJ Styles, Roman Reigns, Shinsuke Nakamura, Randy Orton, Jay Briscoe, Rusev, uh, that guy that had the Mex- that was Mexican who, drive- who drove a white car when he was in WWE, and Kevin Owens. So you can guess who was at number nine. I'm not going to say his name. I can't be asked. Is Uh so? Allegedly, the,
0: allegedly the pride of Mexico.
1: Yeah, allegedly him. But enough about him. We will round off the show. I'll ask you both to tell me what your favourite moment was from his career, and if you could, and if it wasn't a match, if you could outline what you thought his favourite match, your favourite match of his time was. Uh,
2: Grant, I'll go with you first. What were you going with? For me, the favourite match it's it's always going to be the um, the the one against Cody where he absolutely battered them senseless. That was just. It, it was so beautiful to watch and it kind of seeing like sort of Brodie Lee coming on as the exalted one. That Generally like that final run with AEW it's, it's one of my favourite things um, and even though this one doesn't directly involve him also the tribute show that AEW put on afterwards to celebrate the life of Brodie Lee that was one of the most beautiful things. Only ever watched it once. Cried like a little bitch. Oh, didn't, think could I could wa- didn't think I could watch it again because it's just too hard. I don't think you could...
1: There's, I can I struggle to re watch I mean that would be up there. I struggled to re watch the Eddie Guerrero special in two thousand and five. That was a bad that was one. Uh, and the Owen Hart one. Their ones are quite hard to watch. So if you're on there pretty much your heartbreak tribute episodes. But uh, uh, that tribute episode is really touching. And it's also good to kind of still incorporate uh, Brody's son in there as well. And you know his wife is working behind the scenes as well with the kind of outside the ring work as well the charity stuff from aw which is quite good as well uh dave what have you got
0: well we've already mentioned it earlier on but i still have a soft spot for that two out of three balls at battleground 2014 against the usos like not only did it highlight harper and rowan as a very legitimate tag team but i think that was uh Brody lee's sort of breakout moment as an individual competitor at the same time and that's when I really started paying attention to, you know, what could what could this guy be capable of. And, you know, luckily, you know, it looked like there was a bit of a, a bit of a direction for him when he won the Intercontinental title as well. But I don't know, ever since then it just sort of the rug got pulled out from under him. But the best moment I think was you know, as Grant mentioned, everybody coming together and explaining how brilliant John Huber was behind the Brody Lee character and I mean I knew he was a respected talent behind the scenes but I never realized to the extent of how much people looked up to him and admired him it it really was a heartwarming moment to see and obviously them retiring the original TNT championship to be held by Brody Jr it, it, it's moments like this that it really encapsulates how Influential he was in the wrestling industry.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's uh, some fantastic moments there. I think match wise, I can't look past. Um, I know uh, singles match. I still love the Cody one. That's a, that's brilliant. But all time general matches. That's still the six man elimination chamber shield versus wire family. It's one mm-hmm. of my one of my favorite matches of all time. Can't not include it in this particular one. Uh, moments wise, it's. Uh, yeah if I'm looking more WWE's side of it I really loved uh, when he returned at the Royal Rumble in 2017 I thought it was great he got such a good pop he should have got more from it Uh, actually and another match as well the ladder match at uh, TLC 2014 that is epic we watched that live
0: at Walkabout didn't we we did yeah it was a that was a banging match actually Um, was that not the one as well where uh, Ambrose and Wyatt main evented Oh, yeah, and the, the screen exploded. Oh, I mean, that main event literally blew up in their face.
1: Uh yeah. But it's, 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 a, it's a classic WWE thing. They have a really good opening match, and they fuck the main
0: event. But... <laughs> I mean, case in point, WrestleMania 34. Yeah,
1: but, yeah, that has been a, We've tried our best to go through the career of Luke Harper, Brody Lee back there. Unfortunately, this is near enough one year since he unfortunately passed so we've done our best to kind of look back at his memory very fondly uh, so yeah that has been our show for this particular week here in the SSR uh, our feature content continues as we go through December, this is our second last the second, Right, uh, this is the second show we've done in December uh, we've got three more feature shows to come this year, uh, next week we're going to be looking at best Wrestle Kingdom matches of all time, I have one of my panelists here who will be on that show guess who it is it's obvious it's not dead (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so we'll be doing that we've also got the top 10 of 2021 show which i've never seen david campbell more excited and as you guys know if you've seen david campbell doing the draft he gets very excited about a lot of things so this is quite surprising to see him excited about more things and his potential victory, even though he's 20 points off of top spot. Uh, and we've also got our Christmas special this year, which I don't think has yet been decided. So if you are listening and you want to know what, want to help us select our Christmas special, please do so. Last year we did it on Vissena. I still wanted to do it on Steve Blackman, you know. Dave, you get any rest, odd, obscure wrestlers you'd like to see talked about? Jimmy Wang Yang. <laughs>
2: Since Dave doesn't really understand how important he was, let's go Yoshitatsu. Ah! Yeah. Ah,
1: we okay. We could talk about Wrestle Kingdom, was it Wrestle Kingdom 4 or something,
0: he's you on? Know, I don't know. <laughs> i quite a show. You know what, Yoshitatsu is actually, would be a, would be a good show for sure. Uh-huh. As long as we don't talk about uh, Jiro's
1: bowel movements, I'll be pretty happy. Uh, oh god so yeah if you've enjoyed the show please hit your subscribe button on your podcast uh, platform uh, and also uh, follow us on social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Suplex Retweet Tweet we've got so many uh, great stuff going on here we've got ESS our central which comes out every week as well Saturday Draft Live which comes out on the Saturday where you can hear about David Campbell's despair this season as he's had an absolute shocker of a start sorry David uh, on that particular show uh, we've also got our East meets West uh, content which Grant and Scott do we're in Wrestle Kingdom season so we'll hope we'll be hearing a bit from them in the coming weeks but uh, I'd like to thank my panel all firstly uh, David Totley thank you thank you uh, to Grant thank you very much
2: thank you very much for having me on
1: yep. uh, I've been Steve Wilson and we will see you next time there now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for quiz showdown hello guys welcome to quiz showdown i'm daniel campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the eat sleep suplex retweet team
2: go through a very strange quiz we don't know what the heck's going on with it but you're going to have to watch to find out go check out on the youtube channel now that
1: was an enthusiastic advert for quiz showdown